you guys doing today? Awesome to be with you guys here today. All right, so we are in a sermon series right now called Practical Living Through Proverbs. Um, it's just kind of walking through the book of Proverbs, just very practical application stuff to our lives, just through the wisdom that that book brings um, to different areas of our lives. Today, we're gonna, as we're moving through the series, I'm going to be talking about uh, a, the topic of counterfeit gods. Okay, now my guess is that when you hear that term, there, there's probably a mixed bag of responses as to whether or not you think this is an applicable sermon to you or not. But, but what I think you will see as we move through this is that counterfeit gods are something that each and every one of us struggle with because the very nature of our flesh leads us to struggle with it. So my hope and prayer this morning is that we will be able to define what a counterfeit God is, we'll be able to recognize them in our own lives, and then we'll be able to learn through the wisdom of Proverbs ways of avoiding falling victims to these counterfeit gods in our lives starting today. Okay, so let's open up with a word of prayer. Father God, we just want to give you all the glory today. Father, uh, really this is, whole thing is about turning our heart's spotlights onto you and to nothing else. Father, may we learn to trust you above all. May we learn to put our faith in you above all, not just because we have to, but because you're worthy of it. In fact, Father, you are the only thing that is. So may you be glorified today. May we just turn our hearts to you, just like that song said, Father. May we just put, put our minds and hearts set on you as our Lord and Savior, and uh, may you just get the, all the glory. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. All right, so to start off, I, I really want to define what I mean when I say counterfeit God, right? I don't want to assume that you guys know what I mean by that, but by definition, it really is exactly what it says. Something that we put in place of God that isn't the authentic God himself, right? Kind of like a counterfeit dollar isn't the, isn't the real thing. Now, it can appear to be if we don't examine it carefully, right? But it's not. Another word we can use to describe this is the word idol, okay? We, we see that term all over scripture, idol worship, um, and casting aside idols. And then the well-known preacher and writer Tim Keller describes an idol as this. He says, an idol is anything more important to you than God, anything that absorbs your heart and imagination more than God, anything you seek to give uh, your heart what only, what, what only God can give. An idol is whatever you look at and say in your heart of her hearts, if I have that, then I'll feel my life has meaning and I'll know that I have value. Then I'll feel significant and secure. I was preparing... As I was preparing this sermon, contemplating this issue of idolatry, I started thinking about how our lives are full of decisions. Right? Day after day, week after week, year after year, our lives are defined by the decisions that we make. Right? We make good decisions, we make bad decisions, and then our lives play out to, um, to deal with the results of those decisions. Like, you made the decision to come to Rimrock Church this morning. Hopefully that decision doesn't lead you to falling asleep and taking a nap right here. But, you know, it, it, the, the, this, your day is going to play out and your life is going to play out as an outcome of that decision for you to be here. I don't know what that means for you. We, we don't really know in the moment, right? But this is common for all mankind. And no matter what our background, culture, or age is, that we deal with this. We, we make decisions and there are results, effects, and consequences to those decisions, whether good, bad, or neutral. But one of the most common experiences among us is the decision about who or what to ultimately trust in our lives. You see, we face decisions every day where we have to decide what we believe is the, thi is the thing that's going to bring me happiness, contentment, and fulfillment. 
And oftentimes, without us even knowing it, we're putting our ultimate trust in something or someone to get this. But it's one of the most unavoidable decisions that every single person in this room has to make. Who or what will I trust to get me to where I want to go? Main, one of the main uh, passages for today is Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 through 6. I'm going to say it a few times throughout this sermon, but I want to read it right here. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart, and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him, and He will make your path straight. It's a pretty well-known proverb, and I'm, I'm guessing a lot of you have probably heard before. Maybe some of you even have this hanging up, like in a picture frame in your house, uh, tattooed across your back, I don't know, you know. Don't lie, I know, I see it on your faces. Um, but as we really look at what this passage is telling us to do, I want, you to, I want to ask you to evaluate your own heart and really make an assessment about whether or not you are truly trusting God with all of your heart. And if you are leaning on His understanding rather than your own. And like all of you, I've been faced with this kind of decision many times. Most of these situations, I didn't even realize I was in that predicament of choosing who or what I was trusting in. Um, when I was in it. But there, there is one major instance that really stands out to me when thinking about this, and it's when I was younger. It was about 10 years ago. It was when I was 19. I had just gotten engaged. Um, yeah, I was young, I know. Uh, I, was, I had just gotten engaged, and I was in Bible college. I was planning on uh, a career in ministry. I'd felt a very clear calling in my life to go into ministry. Even when I tried fighting it, God was like, nope. And so I, I knew I was, God was calling me to, the, to, to ministry. But once you get engaged, you kind of, you're focus kind of shifts a little bit. You start thinking ahead. You start thinking to the future a little in a different way because it's not just you anymore. Uh, and because of past experiences and really the pull of worldly success, both Alyssa and my wife Alyssa and I began to question that calling into ministry. You know, we both had some fears about ministry to begin with, so, so we had to wrestle through those. Um, really, I, I had no idea what I was getting myself into. Like, I didn't know what it really meant to be a pastor at a church or anything like that. So there was some fear with that. You know, because of that, like, lack of experience with it, I, I felt a little inadequate to face that challenge. I, I wasn't fearful of the challenge. I just didn't—I just didn't know if I was up for it. Uh, um, the, the world told me—another thing is that the world told me it really wasn't an honorable path to take. You know, if you really look at— you go to people and tell you, tell you what you do. I get the same response every time when I tell them I'm a pastor. It's like, oh, and they like change their demeanor right away, right? Like you just, it's, the world kind of looks at it a little differently. And so I had to wrestle through that, just the, that what that was causing me to think about. But because I wanted to provide for my family, not only financially, but also provide them with a happy life, I began to question that calling that God gave me even in the first place. You know, and so I started looking at other options because, and this is funny, I wasn't sure that God's plan for me was going to get me where I wanted to go. Anybody else ever been there, honestly? Like, I don't know, God. I think I got this one. <laughs> don't do that. <laughs> um, so, you know, when I was in high school, I was a little bit younger. I, uh, I really liked architecture. And I was really into, like, drafting and stuff like that and, and drawing and stuff. So I was like, well, maybe I'll pursue that. Uh, so I went as far as to applying to another school. I got accepted into an architecture program. I, I went and found an apartment in that city for uh, my wife and I to live in, and I went through the exit process of the Bible college I was at, all those things. I, I, was, I was like fully committed. I'm not doing this thing. I'm going my own path. But then there was that calling. I knew it was there the whole time. I was just kind of ignoring it. And, and I knew God had called me to ministry. I knew he was saying, don't, don't pass this up. Do not go. I'm calling you to something, and I, you can trust me along the way. 
So I was faced with this decision that I had to make. Who or what was I going to trust and serve in my life? In other, word, in other words, who or what was I going to choose to be my God? Right? The God of the Bible, Yahweh, this, this God that had called me into full-time ministry and had always been faithful to me and I knew it. Or this counterfeit God of the world and the success and happiness I was being deceived into thinking it would bring me. And when I realized, or what I realized is that there are these other gods in this world that I, that I could choose to follow, that I could choose to trust. But here's the thing. What we serve, trust, and strive for in life takes the place of worship in our lives. And so I was faced with this decision. What was I going to put my trust in? Was I going to be obedient to God's calling in my life? Or, or was I going to, to let the deception that had been put into my heart control me enough to lead me to, um, to putting my trust into worldly things? And, and thinking back to that quote by Tim Keller, that definition of counterfeit gods, was I going to let the world take my heart and imagination, provide for me what only God was supposed to pro provide for me? Was I ready to say to the that the world could provide for me something that God couldn't? And so I had to make a decision of, of who or what I was going to trust, and it was decision time. It's like I said, we all make decisions. Now, could I have been happy in a career of architecture? <laughs> Probably, I don't know. But I knew that's not what God was calling to me, er, calling me to in my life. That God wasn't calling me to that, and that this was a counterfeit God that had been pursuing me, that had been tempting me, that had been sweet-talking me into following it into, into a disguised prison for my heart. And I wish I could say that it was easy to say, no thanks, Mr. Counterfeit God, no thanks. But it was hard. Now, obviously I'm standing here today, so you know the decision that I ended up making, but, but guys, it wasn't easy. In fact, it was one of the biggest challenges I have faced in my life so far. It was a lifelong process that caused a lot of growing pains, uh, and, and I know it's by God's grace alone that I was able to make that decision, right? It wasn't because I'm some great wise person or anything like that. So I know God's grace is all over it. But one thing this helped teach me is that God is faithful when we are obedient to him and is calling for us in our lives because he is always faithful. One of my favorite passages is that of Psalm, uh, Psalm chapter 119, 89 through 90. It says this, Your word, O Lord, is eternal. It stands firm in the heavens. Your faithfulness continues throughout all generations. You establish the earth and it endures. You see, it's in God's very nature to be faithful. He has proved it throughout all generations, and he will continue to do so moving forward. He proved it in the decision I made in my life, and I know he's going to continue to do that. That's just who God is. He is never outside of that. He is always faithful. It's part of, it comes with the package. It's part of his character. So this is what I think. I think that this experience that I had is very common among Christians among people who claim to be followers of Christ. You know, it, our lives are a constant balance of trying to figure out how to serve God first in the real world. You know what I mean? It, it, it's easy to talk about and sing about, but it's another thing to know how to actually do it. And sometimes we get caught up in, in, and we make the wrong decisions, don't we? Those counterfeit gods are right there before us and they are so good at, at leading us to believe that they are what's best for us. And Satan knows how to use them against us, and believe me, he's pretty dang good at it. And they look like so many different things to so many different uh, uh, people in, the, in our lives. You know, to name a few, maybe it's financially. You know, we, we face decisions on how we should spend our money, 
Should we, you know, buy this car even though we really can't afford it? Or, or should we splurge and buy a bigger house even though we're pretty blessed with the one we have? Or should we be generous with the money or, that we have? Or should we just keep it to ourselves because, hey, we earned it? Maybe it's your career like it was for me. What, what should I do with my life? I know I'm being called this way, but it's not very glamorous or appealing to the world. It may take a lot of sacrifice. I won't make much money. I won't have a very high social status. It seems like a harder path to take. Even though I feel I should call, I'm called to go that direction, can't I just take this other road that I want to go on? We're going to talk more about these counterfeit gods moving forward here, but, but these are real questions asked by real people, probably by most of you in this room. And there are dozens just like them that I could bring up and talk, as well, talk about as well. But it comes down to a choice. We each have to answer this question, question in our lives. Which God will I serve? Two options. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. And in all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. Or trust in the sly, cunning, inviting counterfeit gods that pursue us. Proverbs chapter 5, tell, verse 3 through 5 says this, For the lips of an adulteress drip with honey, and her speech is smoother than oil. But in the end she is bitter as gall, sharp as a double-edged sword. Her feet go down to death, her, her steps lead straight to the grave. The temptations of these counterfeit gods are, re are very real, and Scripture doesn't sugarcoat it. But what I do want you to know is that God understands where we are at with all of this and what we are going through because of His Son, Jesus. And as we dive into this story we're going to look at in the Old Testament, I want you to try to relate to this story and find some similarities between it and your own life and listen for what God might be trying to tell you. So our text this morning is going to be out of 1 Kings chapter 18. So if you guys want to open up your Bibles to there, I'm not going to have it all up on the screen because it's a lot. But we're going to be talking about Elijah today. Okay, the story kicks off after Elijah had been ministering as a prophet for a while, and God was using him to tell his truths and messages to the people at that time. Now during this time, this is very important, okay, during this time there was a great drought that had begun in Israel, which God had told Elijah would happen. Okay, he had provided water. He'd even provided water, bread, and meat for Elijah while he was hiding during this drought because he knew he'd have to hide out because there were a lot of people trying to kill Elijah at this time for the things that he was saying, the things that he was proclaiming in the name of the Lord. Starting in verse 1, it says this, After a long time in the third year, the word of the Lord came to Elijah. Go and present yourself to Ahab, and I will send rain on the land. So Elijah went to present himself to, to Ahab. Okay, so Ahab was the um, king of Israel at this time. I want to read a little bit about him so we get an understanding about what, just the big picture of this, okay? So back up in a couple chapters before, in chapter 16, verse 29, it says this. In the 38th year of Asa, king of Judah, Ahab, son of Omri, became king of Israel and reigned in Samaria over Israel for 22 years. Ahab, son of Omri, did more evil in the eyes of the Lord than any of those before him. He not only considered it trivial to commit the sins of Jeroboam, son, son of Nebat, but he also uh, married Jezebel, daughter of Ethbaal, king of the Sidonians, and began to serve Baal and worship him. Ahab also made an Asherah pole and did more to provoke the Lord, the God of Israel, to anger than did all the kings of Israel before him. I just want to break this down just a little bit. Okay, this man named Ahab, right? King of Israel. It says that he did more evil in the eyes of the Lord than any of those kings that reigned before him. Now this alone is a, a huge statement because if you've ever read through the like, first part of First Kings before this, you could see a long list of kings who did evil in the eyes of the Lord. I mean, it's like 
names a king. He said he did evil in the eyes of the Lord. Did evil, did evil in the eyes of the Lord. Did evil in the eyes of the Lord. Like over and over again. So here comes Ahab, trumps them all, okay? He did more than all of those. But how did he surpass them? Well, it mentions a few things. It says that he thought the sins of Jeroboam were trivial or no big deal, right? Now, Jeroboam, if we look back to that, Jeroboam was, uh, was a king who made major decisions about worship based upon his own heart. Uh, he created the worship of golden calves, and he made, it, uh, he made a lot of decisions that the Bible often gives credit, for, for the, gives credit to for the downfall of Israel. Okay, so Ahab, to Ahab, these sins that Jeroboam did, they were no big deal. Ahab also married into a family that was known to worship another god, and he followed suit in his own personal worship, and this was the god of Baal. Okay, so Baal was the western Semitic storm god who was the most important deity to the Canaanites at this time. Now remember, this is important because they had been in a major drought for many, many years, right? And so the worship of this storm god became very prevalent because people began to believe and trust that this god, Baal, could bring them rain and fertility to their lands. So they began to put their trust in this false god, this counterfeit god, rather than Yahweh. So throughout the Old Testament, you actually see this, wor this theme of Baal worship as a major issue for the Israelites. So it's pretty clear that God did not take such action lightly. So to sum it all up, this man Ahab that God instructed Elijah to present him to was a bad, bad man who had brought a lot of idolatry into the lives of the Israelites. So much so that it said that he did more to anger God than any of the kings had done before. All right, so fast forward. Um, there was King, ah uh, King Ahab in this, uh, with his palace administrator Obadiah. Okay, because of this drought, they decided to go different directions and find grass for their animals. They decided to split up and go. And as they um, went their separate ways, Elijah met up with Obadiah. And Obadiah recognized him immediately. He even bowed down and called Elijah Lord. So we see that not everyone had fully submitted themselves over to Ahab and, and his beliefs and, and what he was teaching and to this Baal worship at the time. Elijah told Obadiah to go back to his master because he needed to speak with him. Obadiah was a little reluctant out of fear, um, but Elijah reassured him that it would be okay. So fast forward to verse 16. It says this. So Obadiah went to meet Ahab and told him, and Ahab went to meet Elijah. When he saw Elijah, he said to them, Is that you, troubler of Israel? I have not made trouble for Israel, Elijah replied, but you and your father's family have. You have abandoned the Lord's commands, and you have followed the Baals. Now summon the people from all over Israel to meet on Mount Carmel and bring the 450 prophets of Baal and 400 prophets of Asherah who eat at Jezebel's table. So Ahab sent word throughout Israel and assembled the prophets on Mount Carmel. Okay, so at this, at this time, this point, both Elijah and Ahab, they're pretty t ticked off, right? They're pretty heated up. You ever been in that situation with, uh, here with another person? There's like a lot of tension between you. Right? That's kind of what's going on here. Ahab had, been, Ahab had been trying to kill Elijah for a long time for the things that he, had been, he was saying. And Elijah was carrying the righteous anger of God with him because of the way Ahab had led Israel astray. And the fact that Ahab wanted him dead. I mean, that doesn't help things either, right? So tensions were pretty high at this point. It was a good old-fashioned showdown between two very powerful people. Now, like I mentioned... We do have an example of this man, Obadiah, that shows us that not everyone at this time had fully put their trust in Baal. You know, we have an example in Obadiah of someone who still trusted God and served him no matter what the circumstances were, even if when faced with fear. Now, you could see he was kind of wrestling with it still. But, but Elijah knew this. He knew some of the people's hearts, hearts were still loyal to God. But he still had to make a stand. He had to take charge 
or he had to charge the people once and for all to make a decision in which God they were going to trust, which means which God they were going to serve and worship. Verse 21. Elijah went before the people and said, How long will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, follow him. I actually have this verse underlined in my own Bible because I think it highlights a proposition that we all have to face. In other words, Elijah told them, You cannot serve two gods. You have to make a choice. The response? The people said nothing. They weren't convinced. If they were, even if they were, they didn't really want to have to deal with it, right? So they needed, to, they needed a bit more. So here's how Elijah responded. If you guys don't know this about Elijah, he's kind of fiery, okay? And here's how he responded. Elijah said to them, I am the only one of the Lord's prophets left, but Baal has 450 prophets. Get two bowls for us. Let Baal's prophets choose one of them for themselves and let it, them cut it into pieces and put it on the wood, but not set it to fire. I'll prepare the other bowl and put it on wood, but not set it to fire. Then you call on the name of your God, and I will call on the name of the Lord. And the God who answers by fire, he is God. Made sense to the people, so they said, what you say is good. So Elijah presented them with this proposition. Rather than sitting here and just talking about which God is real, let's put it to the test, all right? Let's, let's actually get down to this thing, right? You build an altar over here and, and prepare a sacrifice. I'm going to do the same over here. And the God who answers by fire, who lights up the offerings, that's the real God. Verse 25, Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, choose one of the bulls and prepare it first since there are so many of you. Call in the name of your God, but do not light the fire. So they took the bull given to them and they prepared it. Then they called on the name of Baal from morning till noon. Baal, Baal, answer us, they shouted, but there was no response. No one answered, and then they danced around the altar that they had made. I love Elijah's response here. Verse 27, at noon, Elijah began to taunt them. Shout louder, he said. Surely he is a god. Perhaps he is deep in thought, or busy, or traveling. He said it in that type of voice. I know he did, so. Uh, maybe he is sleeping and must be awakened. So, funny thing is, is they listened. Uh, so they shouted louder, and they slashed themselves with swords and spears, as was their custom, until their blood was flowing. Midday passed, and they continued their frantic prophesying until the time came for the evening sacrifice. But there was no response, no one answered, and no one paid attention. And Elijah wasn't surprised. So then Elijah said to the people, come here to me. They came to him, and he, he repaired the altar of the Lord that had been torn down. Elijah took 12 stones, one from each of the tribes uh, descended from Jacob, to whom the word of the Lord had come, saying, Your name shall be Israel. With the stones he built an altar in the name of the Lord, and he dug a trench around it large enough to hold two seas of seed. He arranged the wood, cut the bull into pieces, and he laid it on the wood. Then he said to them, Fill four large jars of water and pour it on the offering and on the wood. And they did it. Do it again, he said. And they did it again. Do it a third time, he ordered, and they did it a third time. The water ran down around the altar and even filled the trench. So it was drenched. It was, covered. it was completely wet. At the time of the sacrifice, the prophet Elijah stepped forward and he prayed, Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known today that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and have done these things at your command. Answer me, Lord, answer me, so that, the, uh, that people will know that you, Lord, are God and that you are turning their hearts back again. Then the fire of the Lord fell and burned up the sacrifice, the wood, the stones, and the soil, and it also licked up the water in the trench. When all the people saw this, they fell prostrate and they cried, The Lord, He is God. The Lord, He is God. 
What an awesome story. What an amazing testimony to the faithfulness and true power of God and the absolute irrelevance of a counterfeit God such as Baal. In a way, I really feel sorry for those who had been so deceived by the counterfeit gods of their time. But I see the same thing today. It's really heartbreaking to see God's children be pulled into such, into such deceptions. Romans talks about the same thing in chapter, 20, or in chapter 1, verse 20, where it says this, For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, His eternal power and divine nature, have clearly been seen, being understood from what has been made, so that men are without excuse. For although they knew God, they neither glorified Him as God, nor gave thanks to Him, but their foolish hearts were darkened, they, verse 25, they exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped, served, worshiped and served created things rather than the creator who is forever praised. Amen. You see, many of the people had wavered for so long with their decision of who they were going to put their trust in and provide for them. You know, we see this counterfeit God at work in their lives during this time. Remember, they had been faced with this drought for so long, and here was this other God that promised them rain and water and fertility to their lands that they were in such desperate need for, even though they knew it wasn't the God that had always provided for them. So they had to face this decision of which God they were going to serve. Which God were they going to trust uh, the, this God of Baal who was a man-made idol or the God of the universe, Yahweh, and Elijah charged them to make the decision. He said, how long will you waver between two opinions? The Lord is God, follow him. If Baal is God, follow him. And we can see which one proved to be faithful. And I can promise you this, it wasn't Baal. It's always God. It's always Yahweh. Every time. But here's the reality of this. We each have to face this exact same decision in our lives. And that's what makes this story so applicable to us today. Now, maybe we don't have false gods exactly like Baal that we're serving. Maybe you do, I don't know. But I can almost guarantee you that you have some sort of God, some sort of counterfeit God in your life today. How many of you, just answer this honestly, how many of you have tried trusting in something other than God when things get tough? Or even when they're easy? You know, maybe it's, it, like I mentioned before, maybe it's the counterfeit God of money. You know, are, are you putting your trust in, in what you feel is financial security in your life? Or are you putting your trust in God and letting him lead you in that area, realizing that it, he is your ultimate provider and it all comes from him anyways? Maybe your counterfeit God is pleasure. Are you putting your greatest value in trying to achieve what the world tells you is pleasurable and will give you happiness in your flesh? Or are you finding contentment and trusting and serving God and having the faith that he will bring you fulfillment in your heart and in your life? Maybe your counterfeit God is power. Are you putting your trust in achieving high social status, popularity, temporary power in hopes that it will get you to where you think you want to go in life? Or are you humbly submitting yourself before God and serving others out of his great love for his people, realizing that it's about lifting God up and giving him the glory rather than yourself. Speaking of yourself, maybe you're your own counterfeit God. Are you trusting and serving yourself above all else, believing that you are the one that knows best and should be the ultimate source of authority in your own life? Or are you denying yourself daily and submitting yourself to God in your obedience 
in your decisions. Here's the truth. You will serve who or what you put your ultimate trust in. And that's what you'll worship. It goes so far beyond just saying that you believe in God and trust him. You have to look at your life, the decisions that you're making, and where your priorities are, and you have to ask yourself, based upon my decisions, the, priori the priorities that I am actually acting upon, who or what am I trusting in above all else? Because if you trust yourself, you're going to serve yourself. If you trust in money, you're going to serve money above all else. If you trust in, the world, in worldly pleasures, the pl that pleasure will be what you seek above all else. Either way, you will serve who or what you put your ultimate trust in, just like the Israelites did. Many of them made their choice, and they made the wrong choice, because our God, the God of the Bible, the God of all creation, and his son Jesus are the only source of trust we can have, because it is the hope of salvation, the hope of the world. Amen? Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. There is no other viable option outside of him that will lead us to salvation in and outside of this world, period. And this is why it's so heartbreaking to see people be pulled into the deception of their counterfeit gods because they cannot provide what only Jesus can provide. And that's life eternal. A relationship with our Heavenly Father that is so, so sweet. And it's right there for anyone who wants it. And you, each and every one of you, need to choose every day who you will put your trust in. And I charge you to choose wisely because you will, you will serve who or what you put your trust in. For those of you that have made the wrong decision in the past, guess what? That's all of us. I encourage you to exchange that lie for the truth. Just like that passage in Romans said, don't sell yourself short by believing in a lie, but trade that lie in for the truth of salvation through Jesus Christ and live the life you were created to live. And realize that there is abundant grace there to turn your hearts back to God, just like Elijah was trying to get the Israelites to do. God's grace is more than enough for you to turn from, your counterfeit, from the counterfeit gods in your life and to begin once again to trust, excuse me, trust in Jesus above all else. But it does start with the choice, your choice. Who will you serve? Who will you trust? To end here, I want to give you some advice from Proverbs because this is practical living through Proverbs on how to practically live this out in your life today. In chapter 7 of Proverbs, Proverbs, there's a story of a young man who is drawn in by an adulteress, okay? And she tempts him with, with her smooth talk, with the illusions of wealth, pleasure, and isolation. And much of these things reign true in, in, to the counterfeit gods in our own lives. They, they work in the same ways to seduce us. But the beginning of this chapter gives us some advice on how to avoid them in our lives. So I'm going to give you three, three things, how to avoid these counterfeit gods in your life. The first one is this. Have an intimate relationship with God and his word. Proverbs 7, 1 through 5 says this. My son, keep my words and store up my commands within you. Keep my commands and you will live. Guard my teachings as the apple of your eye. Bind them on your fingers. Write them on the tablet of your heart. Say to wisdom, you are my sister, and, and call understanding your kinsmen. They will keep you from the adulteress, from the wayward wife, and her, with her seductive words. You see, the more we intimately know God's word and wisdom the more we will be able to identify those counterfeit gods in our lives. And this is because the more we, we know God, the more we will quickly see what isn't God. Because there's no comparison. So have an intimate relationship with God and his word. 
The second thing we need to do to be able to flee, or I'm sorry, I just gave it away, to, to avoid counterfeit gods in our lives is to flee. Flee. This passage tells the story of a young man who put himself in a position to be tempted. He went out of his way to be there, and he remained there over time until he fell into it. He knew what he was doing. Whether your counterfeit God is money, pleasure, power, whatever, realize the situations that you struggle with these counterfeit gods and flee for them. Put up safety guards in your life to keep you from falling into those traps. Find accountability from others to keep you away from them. And it starts with just fleeing. Get away from them. Because they're powerful. Which leads me to my next one, which is the last, the last point, which is to guard your heart. Guard your heart. Proverbs 7, 25 to 26 says this. Do not let your heart turn away, or turn to her way, or, I'm sorry. Do not let your heart turn to her ways or stray into her past. Many are the victims she has brought down. It really all comes to, down to guarding your heart and making sure you are putting your trust in the only one who is trustworthy. And that's God. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart and lean not in, on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your paths straight. This is the key. Our faith that God and God alone brings us peace. If we find ourselves straying outside of that, realize it and guard your heart. And I just ask you guys to take some time today to be a little transparent with God. Let's all come together and learn how to deal with these counterfeit gods in our lives. Let's learn together to trust in the Lord with all that we are above all else. Let's choose today which God we're going to serve. And Father, may that God always be you. Father, as we close this morning, I just pray for a few moments of vulnerability right here. Father, may we be open with you. May we be real with you for a moment. May we be transparent with you. You already know our hearts anyways. But Father, may we just be convicted by your spirit to the parts of our lives that we are not trusting you in. Father, these counterfeit gods that we have let draw us in, that have tempted us, that have smooth-talked us, and that we've fallen in, into her traps with, Father. Lord God, may we realize today that you are God and nothing else truly is. You are faithful. You are what we can put our hope in. You are the, what we can trust in fully. And Father, that we need to learn to get out of our own ways. Father, may we be just aware of these counterfeit gods in our lives. May we, we learn to deal with them, Father. That starts with just having an intimate relationship with you and pers just pursuing your word and knowing who you are. Father, may we have the courage and understanding just to get away from these situations and to flee when they, when they come before us. And Father, may we just continually learn, continually learn to guard our hearts. Guard our hearts, Father, because our hearts are yours. Father, we just give you the glory today. We just pray that we are shining a spotlight on you with our hearts. Father, convict us today. Help us to realize that your grace is so abundant. Father, that when we have fallen into these traps, Father, that you are right there and say, to tell us you haven't fled from us. 
because you're faithful. Father, may we repent of those things right now. May we turn from them. May we turn our eyes, our hearts, our minds, everything to you. Because you're worthy. In Christ's name we pray.